Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm Ben Easter. I'm here with my co-host Clayton Olson. Today we are going to be talking about practice. Uh, I think it's one of the most important concepts that we can like develop a relationship with in the world. I'm excited to have the conversation with you, Clayton. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I think we got to define practice. What, is, what does practice look like? Are we talking about soccer practice? Uh, <sighs> are we talking about like a therapy practice? You know, what, how do you define practice in your mm. world? That's interesting, man. I, uh, I actually, like, therapy practice, that's like our coaching practices, you know? Um, yeah. It's a different context for the word. I, th- I do think it still, like, relates back to the same thing. Essentially, practice is uh, repetition of a skill with the intention of improving your effectiveness mm. at that skill. That's how I would define ah, it. Interesting. I would have a slight uh, variation of that. Let's hear it. Like, when I think of, like, a morning practice, like what I do in the morning or what I do before I go to bed, it's not with the intention to get better at it. It's actually for uh, the, the ability to recenter myself and come back into some type of an alignment that matters to me. Mm, and we're, we're, we're building the bridge between our language patterns. So I would say there that the skill is centering yourself and then the practice is the practice of centering yourself, even though we're calling it like a daily practice or whatever. It's to like get you back to who you are. It's like it's to realign yourself with yourself. That's the skill that we're practicing when we're doing a daily practice. How does that land with you? Yeah, that lands. I think just the difference would be that I'm not coming back into greater alignment or I'm not trying to progress in alignment necessarily, but rather uh, a maybe coming back to like a wholeness and completeness without necessarily a progressive oh, without, like, destination with, in mind. Without like the improvement piece is what you're talking about? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Like we might say, because my, my model for practice is always martial arts and I guess I never really felt like I got to the top of the mountain. I wonder, is there a top of the mountain? With something like centering yourself. Do you think that it's like possible to like get there to arrive and then to not have any more um, like room for improvement? Yeah, I mean it's a good question. I yeah, think it's, that, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think that the state of arrival is literally a state. It's a state of being, and I think it's really important to be able to have access to that place of feeling like you've arrived, even if paradoxically it also still holds a territory for improvement and maybe uh, a progression. For instance, coming back to like my center mm-hmm. is a state of arrival for me, mm-hmm. although that's not saying that there can't be a center out there in the future somewhere 
that is even more satisfactory, more resourced, uh, greater peace, greater some of these core states. However, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not feeling like I'm necessarily on a journey. It might just be coming into like full alignment to the kind of resources and awareness that I currently have of where I'm at in my development. Interesting. So can I ask then, how would you define practice? The version of the word that incorporates like that daily returning to center, how do you think of it? I think it's habits and actions or a place to put your attention that allows something that you want to be created. Hmm. Cool. Like, so it's like an act of creation? Yeah. Yeah, an act of creation. And that's not to say that what you're saying, uh, I don't completely agree with. Like the practice of like martial arts, for instance, or mm-hmm. the practice of coaching, being on a path of mastery. I'm adding into it where there can also be a practice in which perhaps there is no destination or there is no focus on progression. Hmm. That's cool. I, I like this conversation because it's um, like changing my relationship to this word as we're, as we speak, I'm like, do I feel like I was on a progression when I was like really going to the dojo, like all the time? When I started, I never had a belt system or anything like that. Like I just had like this dude who was really fucking good at Kung Fu and he would show up and he would like give us principles. And so what we were doing in the practice of that was like adhering to principles like trying to keep principles in mind, you know what I mean? And so I guess there's like, there's like the elevation of skill in the sense that like I was getting more familiar with those principles over and over and over again. And then that like translates to mastery or skill. I never felt like I was really on a journey to somewhere necessarily, you know, like, cause I wasn't after a black belt for instance, which I think of the same things yeah. like my journey, like socializing, you know, where I was like, I mean, yeah, there was a destination. Like, I wanted to get, have a girlfriend. I wanted to not be lonely in the world. Um, yeah. But it really felt more like I was doing drills in a way. And I'm trying to, I'm yeah. trying to figure out my relationship to drills because, like, I love drills. There's something really like, meaningful for me about like, doing something over and over and over and over again. And it's not necessarily to get somewhere. Although I think a lot of times drills, there is some sort of like functional component to if you're like practicing something that to the getting to the point where you feel like you can do it in any situation. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Let me, let me give an example in my life, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yoga was a practice in which I was trying to get somewhere. There was mm-hmm. a progressive element of getting deeper into the, uh, the asanas. And uh, maybe even in my early days, I thought, okay, well, this, you know, who knows what I'm going to turn into in terms of the, uh, you know, my mental state and my flexibility and my strength. And now yoga has no longer represented something where I'm actually really care too much about progression. It's actually a practice of being able to come back to a place of peace within myself. Mm. And when I hit that peace, I'm not thinking of some other peace beyond that. I'm not thinking mm. of like a greater sense of peace next time I get on my mat and a greater sense of peace next time I get on my mat. It's a returning to uh, a a territory within myself that I really enjoy and relish in. Mm, I love it. I love this because like, I think that we are actually conceiving of this thing in the same way because it's almost mm-hmm. like these practices are like ways of 
of like remembering ourselves or like becoming ourselves or like returning to ourselves, all of them, because I'm thinking again, like of the martial arts, the social skills, like all the things it's like, even when there's a skill component that has like a developmental piece to it, where they might say that there's like a level zero and a level 10 or whatever, um, that's a way of conceiving of it. Even in those ways, really the only purpose of getting to the level 10 is so that I can be the version of myself that uses as much or as little of that Mm. skill Mm. as I might want. And I think now we're like getting at the juicy part of like why I'm so interested in practice in the first place anyway, because it's like almost like a way of Mm. becoming you know, what would you say? Becoming is like a word for it, but it's almost like, um, you know, I, like, I love the idea of like sculptors and how they chisel the sculpture out of marble, mm-hmm. you know, like removing yeah. the excess, but like giving yourself access to what the essence is. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. what, what do you think about that? Like almost like uh, practice as a way of like finding our, finding and expressing our essence in the world. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got practices in my life where I don't relate to them like yoga, where they are absolutely skill-based and progressive as well. Do you think those would map map to the same practices? Do you think that those would map the same way? Like, would we say that you're you're practicing those things that are skill-based and progressive uh, in order to, like, find and express the essence of you in the world? Mm. Does it it map that same way? I don't know. Got to feel into that. When I think about, for instance, practicing a martial art, there's maybe two intentions there. One Mm -hmm. is I love the way that I feel and I love who I get to be in that context. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a destination just literally within the expression of that that feels satisfying and complete. Mm -hmm. And then on another level, there is a direction that I'm interested in taking as a, a continued depth that I'm wanting to experience through that practice. And does that depth take me into more of my essence? Um, possibly. Maybe, maybe that depth is where I get to experience a, a certain freedom of, of essence or I get to experience uh, myself and its purity. There's like more of a rapport with self that's occurring. Um, yeah, how about you? How does that yeah. land... Yeah, it's, I mean, it does. It's, I think it's a really interesting philosophical... Um, I, you know, I love words, so I'm always trying to figure out how the different yeah. senses of words are interrelated. So, I mean, some of this is more of like a philosophical mm-hmm. musing and quandary. Uh, but I do think it's useful for the totally. purposes of this conversation for us to, to kind of like draw this... If there is a distinction, for us to like draw the distinction between, you know, practice as a way of, as a means of improving oneself in some sort of way and practice as a means of, um, remembering, remembering oneself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Or creating, creating right there in the moment. Yeah. 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 And I I think, I think for me, I do, those two do seem like they are two sides of the same coin, even if I haven't like gotten there yet in a skill, I, I do think I'm still like remembering yeah. the part of myself that has that skill in, in like a sort of, sort of spiritual way. Like I'm, I'm, I'm remembering how to express myself yeah. the way that I want, like I want to show up in the world, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, I think for me, I can use the, yeah. I, I can use the same word to talk about yeah. both concepts here. Yeah. And I love yeah. that we've got a, like these two distinctions because that, helps us also connect with when we're inviting people into practice what is your intention is it always around progression or can it simply be just a place that you're tapping into 
where you're coming back to a place of feeling like you've arrived right there. Like mm -hmm. if, for instance, for my orientation as somebody who is a recovering Enneagram a, three, a three yeah. which is uh, the achievement and uh, performance and progression, it's really healthy for me to have things in my life that are practices that are not about attaining and self-growth and constantly mm. trying to get somewhere because that is actually antithetical to my own like waking up from this trance. Yeah. So when I can engage with something that is actually just about being satisfied right there in the moment doing it without having to get somewhere, that is, although that might be frustrating to one aspect of myself, I think it's really healing in another. Nice. I love that. Because then for me as a seven on the Enneagram, I, I'm not even thinking about it in terms of there being somewhere to get to with a practice, you know what I mean? I'm thinking of like, what's the play? You know, what's the variety of experience that I can have here that I can have access to? It's so interesting. I love the Enneagram as a lens for mm -hmm. looking. So that's really cool. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's step into some of the more um, practical. <laughs> oh, see, there's another emphasis, another sure. way that that word works, right? Is like, because um, I think we use practical to mean in some ways like useful in the world. What do you think? Yeah, something that's practical, something that is that makes sense, that is grounded in reality. Mm. Yeah, um, Paige sometimes brings that up when I when I use practical, I think I mean it in the way that we're talking about practice. And I think when she uses it, a lot of times she means like um, you know not esoteric or not something that's like like what's the practical application of what we're talking about today? It almost seems like in my mind yeah. it goes to, okay, we're going to talk about action steps and we're going to talk about how something can actually be used and maybe uh, something that's scalable and universal for everybody. Making right. it practical. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think the other sense is like, as opposed to something that's unrealistic, you know, like yeah. practical is realistic, I think, is, is the way that like that other sense of the word. That's so, that's so interesting. Language is such a yeah. fascinating thing because we literally are creating such different worlds in our minds, in our perceptions, when we're using words and we're thinking about them in different senses of the word, you know? Casting spells. Yeah, casting spell. Exactly. I love that. Did I ever tell you um, abracadabra, what that means? Like, what the, yeah. like, so it's spoken, so, yes. shall be, so shall it be done? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that. Um, all right. So maybe we can start with a little bit of the neurobiology of practice. Um, Go for it. Actually, I think this will be related to the other topic, too. So so I love this idea of, of how our brains function. You know, the idea that we start with a pretty smooth brain as babies and then as we age and as we you know, sort of come to make sense of the world, what the making sense of the world actually is, is like our neurons and our brains are like making connections. I love this image. So there's like two neurons that are like reaching toward each other and they finally connect and it's like lightning when it happens. But then they weren't like isolated in the world. They were already connected to other neurons. And so when they made the connection, they like sort of dragged the other neurons along in that connection with them. And that the reason that our brain gets wrinkly as we get older is because those connections get tighter and tighter. And then they like, then those other neurons connect to each other. And this is why it becomes easier and easier to access skills as we get older. You don't even have to think about walking. Whereas there was a time where it was like, you, you know, you had to focus your whole mind just on taking a single step. But now, because we've got so many uh, neural connections, you know, connecting those concepts together that we can like activate the whole system of neurons in, at the same time. And so that's like what skill is in the mind. And that's also why our brain gets wrinkly as we get older. And so what I love is this, 
in the sense of practice, again, at, not as progression, but as capability, as a means to, to attain capability, it's like through repetition, whatever we're repeating, we're building more neural pathways. And then those neural pathways, the tighter those interlinkings between the neurons get, the easier it is for us to access whatever that thing is, whether that be a thought or whether that be like riding a bike or, you know, martial arts or understanding how to open a a conversation with strangers or whatever the, the, the situation might be. I like to root this idea of practice in that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's that wrinkly brain description is not something I've heard of before. So thank you for that. That's very yeah. fascinating. <laughs> that it's like our brain cranking on itself and just tightening these, these neuronal pathways. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. The question that comes to mind as we're talking about this is just like, wow, I, I got hit with how important it is to be conscious of what we're practicing. Because we're all practicing something. Exactly. Right? Whether whether you have an explicit intentional practice or not, you've got a practice that you're, you know, maybe it's waking up late. Maybe you've got a practice of checking your phone in the morning and what kind of neuronal pathways and connections and wrinkles are you creating in your brain yeah. that are maybe taking you in a direction that you don't want to go. And right. when I say that, I don't just mean physically in the world, but also just emotionally and mentally. What are you creating dependencies on? Yeah. Um, what kind of state of being are you practicing living into and again and again? And so maybe it's good to just make this distinction that we're not talking about adding something to your life that's foreign when we talk about practice. We're talking about actually molding an already existing process and helping you begin to design it in a way that's going to take you where you want to go. I love that so much. I just love that framework for thinking about this. Like that you're, listen, whoever you are listening to this right now, you're already practicing. (laughs) It's it's just a question of like, are those practices bringing you closer into alignment with the version of yourself that you want to see when you look in the mirror and who you are? Ah, man, that's such a cool concept. Mm. Yeah. What came up for me when you were talking about that was this, you know, like social anxiety that I used to practice when I was younger and like all the worries about what could Ah, go wrong. And like, I was really like expert in some ways of like thinking through all of the ways that a situation could go wrong when I was going up and talking to people or whatever. (laughs) It's so funny to think about that and how, you know, how excellent I was at it, at creating that reality. Anyway, such an interesting thought. And when, like, what do those uh, those practices start to create? They start to create a look in your eyes. They start to create a tightness in your throat. They might start to create curved shoulders as well, where you're pre- protecting your heart from all these different imagined nightmare scenarios that you're practicing. And suddenly your being starts representing the practices that you have in place. Literally your physical being. Because another way of talking about like the neuron mm-hmm. things is if you're the kind of person who smiles a lot, well, guess what? Your face literally the wrinkles that you'll take on like the 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 laugh lines around your eyes like those things will start to physically be like markers to the world just because you've done them so many times that your face has like started to shape itself that way the muscles will be defined around smiling so it's like all of these things are not just not just happening inside of our brain but they're happening in our physical body i love that you brought that up to to realize yeah how much we do actually have the capacity to change, not just the way that we think, but the way that we look yeah. in the world. Yes. Really yeah. powerful the way stuff. we carry ourselves, the things that people are responding to, totally. I'm just thinking, like, so what is for you, why have a practice? And may, before we talk about your practice, like, like, why do you have a practice? And what are you practicing? And what does that do for you? 
Um, and maybe yeah. share a little bit back and forth. Because the reason I also want to say this too is I, when I'm working with coaching clients, you know, there's like a top down way that transformation can happen and then there's a bottom up way that transformation can happen. Yeah. And the top down way is like, let's actually dive into the, the identity, the beliefs that you have about yourself, the beliefs you have about the world. Let's start to actually shift those through reframing, shift those through recontextualizing your past having you come to new ahas about who you've been and how you've showed up, help you find more rapport with yourself. And then from that place of like lifting up the hood and adjusting a story that you have about life and a story that you have about yourself, mm-hmm. new actions might begin to spawn forth, right? And we just, we just step back and we just allow things to unfold in that manner. I think that can be a, a powerful way that, that coaching can shift things where suddenly the action starts to come forth uh, effortlessly as just manifestations of this new stance that you're occupying yeah almost like removing resistance with your beliefs yeah totally totally yeah. And, I, and i love that i think it's a it, and that's the top down way i think that there's another powerful way of coupling that which is the bottom up which mm-hmm. is how do we intentionally design rather than working from the top level of identity how do we start to create an environment in our life that supports a certain set of behaviors that come online daily that yeah. then turn into capabilities that then start to turn into beliefs that then trickle all the way into our identity because we've done it enough. Yeah, right? totally. So like, like, for instance, if I like talking about working at a real ground level, if, if I find myself checking my phone, the first thing I do when I wake up, mm-hmm. it might be important to not have my phone right next to my bed. Mm-hmm. So I start to actually literally change the environment. I might have water set up next to my bed if I want to make sure that immediately when I wake up in the morning I drink water and I don't get distracted by something else. So I, I change the environment to begin to support this, this creature to, mm-hmm. to make the things that I want to do easy. And so and I, and I think that's a really powerful way of transforming oneself is we'll focus on an environment and behaviors and let the, the practice of that begin to trickle up into your identity. Oh, I love so that. I feel like this is why we're talking about this today. Would you agree with that? Is there anything you'd add or modify? No, I think that's uh, it's well put and beautifully said. I, we're in the business of transformation, but also like I think transformation is like that almost linear idea, but also just like we were talking about with practice, they're being practiced to get somewhere, but also practice to return to the self and that those are kind of not actually always different things that what we're really talking about is like becoming, returning to the version of ourselves that we want to be. And like removing the the marble that's not a part of that core statue that is like our essential self. I love the top down version of it. That's the vision for like what is this statue that we're building? What is there? What how do we want to believe about the world? You know that's in support of that. And then there's the chipping away of the marble that is like the day to day daily activities that are shaping our neurons, that are shaping our musculature, that are shaping our environment, our time. The way that we're interacting with other people, these these practices that we could be in that actually do that. So I think that's what we're talking about. I love that you brought up environment because I think yeah. that is one of the ways that we can make practice a lot easier for ourselves is by setting up an environment. You know, you go to the dojo because like and people who practice martial arts or yoga will know this. When you when you try to do it on your own, yeah, you'll you'll do it. But when you show up to a class where everybody else is focused on that thing, like all of a sudden you're finding depths of practice that you weren't finding <laughs> when you're practicing by yourself. You know well what I mean? Said. 
And so that's like, that is part of the power of an environment. Another part is like you said, to, mm. to make the decision easier or removing frictions. If I, if I want to be the kind of person who doesn't start my day, like doom scrolling on Instagram and I notice that that's a trend in me. Well, what if I sleep with my phone in the other room? Wait, did you, did you just call that doom scrolling? Yeah. I've never heard that. <laughs> that's the language that a lot of my clients use. So, uh, and so, you know, it might be easier to set myself up in the other room. If I'm, if I want to like yeah. lose weight or like eat healthier, well, removing yeah. the, the foods that I don't want in my diet from my home so that I don't have to make a choice about it in every moment can help me with willpower. So I think environment's really important. And I also want to talk about the environment almost being the container for the, the practice that we can do, which is, again, shaping the neurons, shaping the musculature, shaping the, our schedule, which is another type of environment. I think that's where it gets like a little bit blurry. I think your calendar is absolutely an environment. It's a, it's a mental environment of organization. And so, yeah, putting things on your calendar is another way of supporting a practice. I know that if something doesn't make it onto my calendar, there's a lot less of a chance that I'm going to be able to do it because now I've got to recruit more resources to remember that. Yeah. Uh, And there's also maybe a lack of preparation then, maybe the night before or earlier in the day, where if I see it on the calendar, there's already aspects of myself now that are preparing and getting ready to engage in that thing. You've done a lot of practice in your life. For the listeners who have not probably seen Clayton dance, uh, I love watching you dance, man. You're just like, it's such a cool, like the way that you move in the world is such a cool thing. Um, just, just a fantastic dancer. Thank you, Pop and locking. I don't know what else you'd call it, but it's like really cool the way that you move on the dance floor. And, um, and so... Once I remember we went snowboarding and you were telling me the story about lucid dreaming and I'd love to hear if you'd be willing to like recap your experience in the you know the fifty thousand foot view of, of lucid dreaming for people. The reason or I brought up dancing was, was like you meeting the the entity who taught you to dance in the yes in lucid dreaming. I was already dancing at the time. I was obsessed with dancing. Dancing was uh, the an art form that I think completely shaped my adult life. Really got into it at eighteen and uh, was going to clubs and uh, was just a practice of something that brought me so much joy in the moment. Number one, it was a beautiful sanctuary that I could return to that got me out of my head, allowed me to process certain things that were inside of my mind through my body. There was also progressive, uh, in a progressive agenda uh, mixed in with it as well, where okay. there were certain ways in which I was wanting to improve and become, uh, become more coordinated and better. The lucid dreaming piece uh, was fascinating because I was also practicing lucid dreaming. I got really into that around 18. And I remember having dreams about dancing and then suddenly having dreams where I woke up in the dream and realized I was dreaming and then purposely went and found characters that, who knows, are either aspects of myself or possibly entities that exist outside of self uh, that were amazing artists and dancers that moved in ways that were not possible in physical reality and engaging them in dialogue and dance battles and just having a blast opening that piece up and allowing it to influence in me whatever in whatever way it did that's That's i think the summary of the story that you and i had when we were snowboarding I, i think that was like i think a really cool just highlight for me the idea that you could go into a dream state and yeah. practice something like dance in a dream state. Yes. Is just, and I don't know, like, look, for me, I only ever know you now as the dancer that you are now, but like, 
when I put that together with the story, I'm like, holy shit, it does seem like he learned to dance in a dreamscape. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like, that's fucking cool. Um, but anyway, I just like, yeah. I, I liked that as a, as a um, almost like a dojo for practicing something in the sleep space. Yes. Kind of reminds me of the, the Matrix a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you like upload your consciousness. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> I now know dance. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, so just to, to that point, though, like I, I'll, I'll put out there that, um, you know, and this goes right back to what you were saying in the beginning, is that these, these different practices that one has in place that do require, and it did require of me, a commitment and a discipline and a, a continued returning to the practice, even when I didn't feel like it, was, yeah. was so important for me to stay in that lane so that I could experience the depth and things could open up in ways that, you know, they wouldn't if I, would, if I stopped after a month. Dancing, the lucid dreaming, but just being continually committed to it. Because lo- learning how to lucid dream, uh, for me, was not easy. It took an incredible amount of discipline and losing sleep and having to work with the rhythms of my sleep and missed nights, frustration of not being able to wake up in the dream. And you know, it wasn't pleasurable. It, mm-hmm. Parts of it were, but some of it were very frustrating. Um, so I think just that, you know, what I'm highlighting here is that although a practice, I think ideally, is one where it's like, you know, I'm going to sit down and meditate because it feels so juicy to meditate that I'm going to come back here every single day and it's always going to feel so inviting and good to do. And it's like, that's really not the case with something yeah. Uh, in my experience, until you've developed such a relationship with it that maybe you've hit that essence. You start to tap into that essence of yourself and now that starts to pull you into it. But before that, it's kind of like this continual cracking and what I've experienced is like pushing and commitment and having to recommit and falling off the wagon and then recommitting again to get to that. Have you had something similar with your life? Absolutely, absolutely, man. I think that's how every, literally every skill works because it's like we, we want what the skill can bring to us. We want what, you know, how we can express ourselves once we're a walker and we can walk in the world. But in order to get to that place where walking is easy, we don't even have to think about it and we can like enjoy going for a walk. Like this is one of my, my favorite practices in the other, the first sense is like to go for these night walks. Um, but in order to be able to do that in the world, I had to go through a, a journey of where walking was not comfortable, where it was actually really uncomfortable, and I fell over a lot, and it hurt. To develop the skill to walk, to be able to do it with ease, and to enjoy the practice of walking, like, there was a necessary period of discomfort and, you know, like, whateverness, yes. incapability. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the obstacles, yeah. because as a kid, we all go through that, but then once we hit, like, 13 or something like that, and we start to, like, feel social pressure, I think there's a lot that goes into it, but it gets harder to be willing to fail especially on a skill that's going to be in front of someone because like we're, we've you know there's a lot of practices that you can do that where you know when you're lucid dreaming you're only dealing with yourself in terms of the consequences of that like the feelings of disappointment the struggles with your sleep and all that stuff but then there are some things where like in order to learn the skill you cannot go and practice it in some sort of cave and then come out later once you've developed the skill like leadership skills social skills Public speaking skills. These are all things where if you don't go out and be in front of people, you actually can't develop the skill at all. And so then there's those social consequences. And I think that kind of leads into this. If we're not careful, there are these obstacles to practicing in the world. 
Yeah. And, and yeah. you were naming some of the some of the internal ones. Like, yeah, the disappointment that you experience when you're not able to do the thing that you want. Like, the consequence. Like, Lack of motivation. Yeah. Where you're talking about, like, I missed sleep nights. I think that's also, like, sore muscles. When you're learning a skill, like, you might not hurt afterwards. You're trying to figure it out. And you're like, mm. you know, you're, you have an ache or you throw out a shoulder or something like that. Especially as an older person learning skills. <laughs> there are, like, all these, like, obstacles that can get in the way of the practice. That if we don't. If we don't reconcile ourselves to those and, like, you know, decide that mm. whatever the, the thing on the other side of the practice is worth it to us to, to pay that price, because that's the ticket to admission. You know, if you're not willing yes. to lose some sleep, you can't learn to lose a dream. They go hand in hand. If you're not willing to go get shot down by some strangers, you cannot learn to go talk to strangers because they're... Mm-hmm sometimes going to shoot you down and say, we're not interested in talking totally. to you right now. Totally. Um, and yeah. so I think that, that addressing those and planning for that, you know, having that be a part of your journey is like recognizing that you are going to go practice this thing. Yeah. And what comes up for me as you're saying that is I like that we're talking about the internal obstacles to practice. And now we're talking about some of the external obstacles to practice, which arguably could also be internal. It's yeah. a story that we have about what that stuff means. Mm-hmm. Um, and, to that end, it seems like it would be important to move the goal line of, mm-hmm. say, what practicing leadership looks like, what practicing social skills look like. Yeah. If you're gauging whether your practice of leadership is successful based on how people are reacting to you and only how people are reacting to you, I think that's, that's one metric that is absolutely important. Mm-hmm. But there might be a metric where you can move it more internally, mm-hmm. where it's like, actually, I'm just going to practice being honest. Oh, right. I'm going to practice being transparent and clear. And like, you know, that might upset some people. Some people might have a reaction to it. But for the time being, there's just going to be a practice around candor and honesty and sincerity. Yeah. And then maybe I'll get in, like, how can I come from love? How can I also be relational? Yeah. Attention yeah. to As, timing and taste. Yeah. yeah, exactly. As you develop those skills, like, you have access to greater and greater ease with some of them. So you can tack new things on. Like, my example for this, because I think it's really clear, is, like, learning the guitar. So when you're first, like, learning the guitar, you, like, every place that you have to put your finger is, like, it's like a brain twister because you're, like, trying to coordinate and you don't have the muscles and you don't have the neurons to do that, right? So in the beginning, it's, like, to make a C chord, it's, like, and then to go from that to a G chord where you have to, like, change everything, it's, like, like your brain like kind of explodes okay because in the beginning you're building those neurons and it's hard for an unconnected neuron to connect it gets easier the second time and far easier the fifth time or the 20th time and so that's why in the beginning it doesn't make sense to try to learn to sing and play a song at the same time that's a really slow journey it makes sense to try to figure out how do i just make the chords in time with the music first and then how do I strum in rhythm with the music? And then how do I, away from the chords, completely sing the song? <laughs> and then how do I, you know, so that you can like, kind of keep building on it? And so that ultimately, as you get more and more reps in, it becomes more and more unconscious, the, like, the work that you're doing, so that you can tack on greater levels of difficulty onto the skill. It sounds like trying to learn to drive stick. Mm. I remember when I was 16 and just being yeah. in the car and like, oh, wait a second. I'm supposed to have my foot on the clutch, let go of the gas, exam this thing in the gear, watch my mirrors, yeah. and hold, make sure I'm not crashing off the road. Like, how does anybody How does anybody do this? And then suddenly those things start to come together. And next thing you know, I can like text on two phones while driving stick simultaneously. Exactly. Not that that's something I practice. Don't text everyone. (laughs) Don't text and drive. Not my teens anymore, but. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It's just like that. And so people have these experiences with these skills, and that's how it, like how it works. And like a willingness to yeah. get through all that clunky part in the beginning, mm-hmm. I think, is really useful. Like you were saying, like to isolate some. You were talking about moving the goalposts. So like, like figure yeah. out like what's one skill that I can go and practice and just get that that repped out. And I like to play video games and have my whole life. I think it's a really beautiful model for learning a skill. Is like, interesting. You have unlimited lives. You can die, and but you'll go back to the beginning. But you can try it again and again and again and again and again. Yes. There's no downside yes, to it, yes. right? Great example. Yeah, I was gonna say, just great example. Live, die, repeat with Tom Cruise. I love that. Like you going after the same thing, and that's when I connected that in social skills. I was like, holy shit! And for me, it was the it was the escalator experience that my clients will have heard of, and maybe even I've mentioned it before on the podcast. But standing at the bottom of the escalator and going for no's. You want to go get coffee? No. You want to go get coffee? No. And the point was to get to a hundred no's. And yeah. the point of that was just to reconcile myself to the fact that there was an infinite number of opportunities in the world. Because once I could be reconciled to that, like I stopped. And this is, the, this is one of the distinctions that I wanted to bring to the podcast today. The di- distinction between practice and performance. And so, like, so the idea is like if you're a professional violinist, I'm going to keep using music for a second, but like the first time you run through something is not on stage at the... New York City Amphitheater or whatever, like, I'm forgetting the name of the... Carnegie Hall. That's not, you know, you, that's not the first time that you look at the music, is when you're on stage and there's all that pressure. The first time you look at it is by yourself, as you mark through it and you try to figure it out. And so I want to draw this distinction for people between practice and performance, because a lot of times the only time people will practice something is when they're in performance mode. When they're in the meeting where it's really important that they convince their boss of something. When they're at the networking event where, you know, I, I don't know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm making up examples because the idea is that like the only time that people will actually do something is when they're in front of things, when they're on stage. And that is like a really hard time because yeah. now you have not only the skill that you're working on, but also all that pressure, all that social pressure. What do you think it is that has people, that, that type of practice outside of performance feel so elusive perhaps do you think it's a choice that like they know what the practice is but they're just there's like a a maybe a trying to be efficient with their energy so they're like oh, i'll just practice where it counts which is in, in front of people mm-hmm. or do you think that there is a kind of blind spot around what it would even look like to break what maybe the climax as a performance down into smaller parts i think that's some of it maybe you can check me on this because my gut says that it's actually more about people really wanting to get some kind of result in the world and it being pretty far divorced the practice over here from the result whereas with the performance you can at least see like oh if i could just nail this performance i could get the result that i want in the world there's just like a lot more steps if you're thinking about it just as being a practice in the world like well okay yeah but i do this thing but then like who cares it didn't even matter like what i really want is this situation over here and so I think it's like maybe some story about wasted energy or like it being boring to practice. I think that's a big, a big thing that gets me. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it takes so long and I'm, you know, I'm not self-judgment. That's it. This, yes, that's that piece. That piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was, that's the element that I would add to it is that for me, when I'm having a difficult time getting into a consistent routine or, or practice, what I sometimes come up against is my own, like, um, pride around learning and mm. feeling like I'm consistently crashing into some type of failure 
or I'm not meeting some type of expectation that I have for myself. Yeah. And that feels really intolerable. So I'd rather yeah. just kind of not look at it and deny it than actually stay in that. But yeah. if I have a capacity where I'm willing to be humbled continually by the practice <laughs> and kind of get out of, get out of my ego and just trust that like the learning process is going to be, uh, it's not going to be glorious. It's going to be mundane. I'm not going to see results. It's going to feel like a waste of time rather than an investment of time. Mm. Um, and I can be okay with that and I can welcome that. I have much more capacity then to kind of sit through the learning that feels painful and the, yeah. and the failure that, that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that does have something to do with it is like our relationship to failure, this word failure, which is really just a choice. Yeah. It's like an interpretation. Failure only happens when two things happen. One, when we stop yeah. trying. And two, when we then name the last attempt a failure. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's like those two things have to be present for failure to be present because otherwise we're learning. Like you don't say that a kid failed to learn to walk because they fell over. And look, walking has a 100% success rate. And like it, you, you didn't fail at it. You just haven't gotten it yet. That I think is like a, a really important distinction. I think play, the idea of play, that's why I loved the video game thing. When I looked, mm-hmm. when I connected those dots, like holy shit, I can just treat this like a video game. I might just be able to figure out a way to really enjoy the, the beating my head up against the wall because I'm just playing mm-hmm. a game mm-hmm. with myself where I'm trying to get farther and farther in the level. And if I fail, who cares? I didn't fail. I can always put it away and try again next time or whatever. I like it. I mean, I think that you, what you're talking about is a orientation in the practice that allows you to enjoy the process. It's like, how do yeah. I actually bring an enjoyment to this? And, and something that I'm also hearing you do, like to take the escalator analogy, uh, which, by the way, man, I mean, that, what a what a brutal practice. I'm going to stand <laughs> at the bottom of an escalator and I'm just going to ask people to coffee again and again. And so if you're playing the game of I need to get a coffee date, that's right. going to feel very different than if you're playing the game. I'm going to purposefully trigger feelings of rejection within me so that I can become more expansive around it and I have the capacity to be with it and I'm going to learn who I am through the rejection and I'm going to increase my wattage to handle not getting what I want or having my invitation turned down. Then it's like you're no longer concerned. You've taken the goal line from being outside of your control to to moving it on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I I love that. I love that 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 way you're describing it too, of like moving the goal line because that is a choice that we can make. So rather than now becoming a leader in my company, the goal is becoming the kind of person who can be a leader in my company. And now the whole game has changed. But it's like, whoa, what what is that person able to do that I'm not able to do right now? And how can I go and like develop those skills? And that person certainly was willing to go through the messy process of developing those skills. And so like I can become that person by by becoming comfortable with that messy process of developing the skills. So it's like, it's a whole different way of looking at development. And to that point too, we see somebody and we admire them. We we see their skills and I think we can, I I know that I can make a fallacy of believing that they're just a natural. Oh yeah. Or that they, they didn't have the kind of messy period (laughs) that I'm about to inflict on myself. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody, no, look, I can kick any baby's ass. (laughs) Anyone. (laughs) And it's not because I'm inherently better. Like I, I was, a, I'm a natural at more skills. It's literally because I'm older, bigger, and I have more neural connections, right? So it's not a fair fight. 
And no, it's because it's because of your martial arts training, man. If you did not have martial arts training, a baby would be all over you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, so that's the thing. Nobody's a natural at anything. That's why I bring up that example. Like babies don't. We don't yeah. start off natural at anything. Every single thing you're able to do, you practice. And look, maybe you liked something more, so you practiced it more when you were young, and you developed a skill faster than others. And once you learn one skill, adjacent skills are easier for you to pick up. And then once you learn the skill of learning skills, they become really fast to pick up. And I think this is one of the really cool things about picking up a whole bunch of different skills in a lot of different areas, because then you can start to see the parallels and overlaps of everything, and it's like, whoa! Like, you can just, like, start making connections really fast, because you already have those neural pathways. You're just accessing them and connecting two networks of neurons together that already existed in your brain. I think that's fucking cool, but mm. that's maybe the topic for a different body. Incredible. And what I hear you saying is that you're developing a model for learning and you've got that model for learning. You can just map it over to anything at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what, that's one of the really cool things I think we're doing with practice is we're like thinking of it that way. Like what if you were just developing a model for learning how to do anything in the world with your practice Rather than mm. trying to be yeah. able to do something, you're trying to be able to learn how to do something, and that is a different. We're moving the goalpost inside. Yeah, love it. I think that this is really interesting because, um, well, first of all, I'm witnessing that this podcast, for instance, yeah, there's we could relate to this podcast in the the same way that you and I were talking about in the beginning of the call, where there's two worlds. There's one world where it's like, okay. We're relating to the podcast because this is a move to expand a certain amount of awareness mm-hmm. or for you to, and for I to continue to practice uh, speaking on camera with each other and diving into this kind of dialogue with an audience and to hone that craft. Yeah. And then we can also look at it as a practice of like, this is just a great way for two friends to get together <laughs> and shoot the shit. And it's like, we're not really trying to get anywhere. It's not like we're trying to necessarily take our friendship to the next level. It's just like... We're relishing and enjoying in the friendship together. Oh, nice. Um, I love that. So I was yeah. just seeing how those kind of those two things can come together just even in this as like a hologram for it. Yeah, dude, thanks for bringing that. Because now I'm going to ask the same question. Like, well, is it just that yeah. this podcast is then allowing us to be more of ourselves in the world? And that's essentially what all of mm. the practices are about is like, how do I get to be more? Because on some level, I think that's like the secret to life is if you figure out that like you really just want to have some experiences in the world. You want to be the kind of person who can have some cool experiences in the world. And everything else, all of them, the external markers, whatever, the things that you can get, have, be, or do, or whatever, they're just a way, a vehicle for you to be able to have those experiences that you want to have in the world. And Mm -hmm. it's just like such a different relationship for me, at least, in thinking of the difference between like attaining a certain like dollar amount goal in the world or follower amount goal or whatever versus like... What that will enable me to be is like the, the, the version of myself that I most want to be in the world. I love that. Yeah, man. About the podcast, too. I also just noticed that I had a different idea of where we were going to take this today. Because we started to just create this offline before we yeah. jumped on a call. Because practice is important to both of us. And it's just fascinating because I was expecting us to go into like daily practices with the idea that it's about returning to center. And so the yeah, whole that's... orientation that I had towards this was about like the daily practices that one can do in the morning and maybe yes to support and transformation. But we've really gone into some interesting territory around just the philosophy and the building blocks and the, the neurology. So yeah. um, I don't know why I'm bringing that up. It just feels like uh, this is, podcast has been a surprise to me in a yeah. really cool way. I would love to do a part oh. two. We'll, we'll bring that back in. Any final okay. thoughts? 
uh, on today? No, I feel like we've uh, just followed the labyrinth and have yeah. opened up some really cool ideas. And I feel like my understanding of practice has definitely been expanded through this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, me too, man. I love it. Um, if you are listening to this and you want to have a conversation about these things, these principles that we've discovered or any of the parts of it, like I would encourage you to reach out to either Clayton or I, um, and we will talk. We are always open. This is like just how we do in the world. So, uh, feel free to reach out to either of us. You can find that stuff in the show notes and thanks for listening and enjoy your shifts to freedom. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.